no other fount I know. Nothing but the blood. Uh, I, I don't want to hear about the cold anymore. I don't have a jacket on. I feel fine. I'm happy and excited to be here. You should be too. Those of you who finally got online, we apologize, but we're glad you're here as well. You people. All right. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started, but I want to clarify a few things. Uh, Nicole made, made a slight... I'm not sure what she said. There's two Mexicos. Folks, there's only one Mexico. It's south of San Diego. There's only one Mexico. There are two Mexico trips this year. Um, so we will be doing that. But as far as like the comp, it's not like a stock option that split and doubled, you know, whatever. Um, I'm going to set this down. Here we go. Let's spill on the electronics so we can. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, great song for this morning considering what we're talking about. We've been doing a series uh, in the book of Galatians. We did chapters 1 and 2. Today we're chapter 3. And uh, for week 1 we talked about our call in Christ. Uh, what has he called us to? Second week, we last week, we talked about your identity in Christ. Um, how do you see yourself? How did God design you? What were you created to be? And how do you change your vision of yourself to be in line with who he says you are? Uh, this week, we're going to talk about your faith in Christ. And uh, it's kind of interesting to me, the progression, the order that actually makes sense. Maybe Paul knew what he was doing, that we need to understand that we were called and then given an identity so that then we can have faith. Uh, to, to ask somebody to faith, it's, it's kind of backwards if you give no foundation, no preliminary information. You know, to walk up to somebody, and this has always rubbed me the wrong way, and, and just tell them, hey, you need to have faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's a cold open. That, like You're just going to lead with that? How, how about you have some kind of relationship, start a conversation, and get some found foundation behind your conversation rather than just imposing things on people. Now, do we want to get to faith in Christ? Absolutely. But we want to have our calling and our identity down. Once that's down, well, the question is, what do we believe in? That, what's Paul, that's what uh, Paul's going to talk about here in this chapter. Please join me in prayer. And then we will uh, jump into actual verses. Lord, thank you for this morning. And thank you for all of the ways that you provide. Thank you, Lord, that our relationship with you is multifaceted. Many dimensions. Lots of detail. Complex and simple at the same time. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us how to enjoy our relationship with you as individuals, based on scripture, Lord, and based on others' experience, but mostly based on our own interaction with you. I pray that that would supersede anything, everything, that we would be able to build on it and have something of true value, the way you designed and created it for it to be. So I pray for our time, bless uh, your word, bless um, the hearing of it, Lord, bless the commentary on it, and, and Lord, um, may it glorify you this time with your people in your house. 
And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Uh, Paul is talking to the churches at Galatia. And he, uh, chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians. Well, there's an opening. Let's start by calling names. You foolish people. Well, why are they foolish? Who has bewitched you? Apparently, they've been led astray and to the point where they're acting foolishly. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed and crucified. It says, why are you acting foolishly? Why would you go based on something someone else said? You were there. You saw it. You witnessed it. You have firsthand knowledge. You need not have someone come and testify and explain it. You need simply remember. Who is he? What's your experience with him? And then how well can you bank on that? He says, you saw with your own eyes. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with, what's that word? Faith. Pretty good. We're going to try it again. Bear with us people at home. People here live are a little sleepy, a little cold, blood's not going. We're going to do this one again. Uh, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with Faith. faith? Much better. What's the question? One, let's, let's remember, it's not a real question. It's a Socratic question, implying an answer. Or it's a sarcastic question, if you're from public school in Castro Valley. You're being sarcastic because what's he trying to say? Uh, you do not get anything from the Spirit based on your works, based on your accomplishments, based on whether you have blue eyes or not, right? Can you imagine how horrid a system that would have been? Well, all the people with dark hair, you're in. All you people with blonde, well, I know if it's dark now, but it was blonde when you were younger, you're out. That'd be a horrid system. Hey, all of you that scored a certain uh, number on SAT, all of you who, who can lift 50 pounds, This is getting goofy, isn't it? All of you who can grow hair. (laughs) You're out. Bald people, we're in, right? (laughs) He's he's making um, pretty strong statements that basically say, stop it. Stop comparing and contrasting. Stop using human measurement to decide value. Uh, Now, he's been talking about the first two chapters that way. It's a reminder, chapter three, and and this is all one letter, right? It's not like there's hard breaks in between the chapters. Somebody else came up with those. But he's continuing this idea. We get our faith. We get the guidance of the Spirit. We get salvation. We get grace, forgiveness. We get leading and direction from who? Who? Can you hear him? He's in Idaho, but can you hear him? (laughs) He's yelling it, right? What we get, we get from God. All good things come from heaven above. And I guarantee you, we're going to pray and end. We're going to walk out of here. And within minutes, we will all, myself included, guilty, 
be back on the, the treadmill, the hamster wheel of, wait, no, no, you have to, I got to, wh- when are we going to, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. We start measuring the wrong thing. Uh, this is great news. Because what that means is you're okay. Now, can you be foolish? Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's like you make this amazing meal, and you're just about ready to eat, and you go into the yard, and you get a big hock of dirt, and you drop it in the pot. That's, that's the idiocy of what God does is perfect. When we tried to add stuff to what God is and does, wants, will we make it better? We make it worse. Unless we trust and believe that He's making it better, that He's what gives it value. It is our faith, our belief in Him rather than our abilities that brings the good out. This is what Paul's getting at. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Love that he puts that in there. When we suffer, it's not in vain. He said, if you're trying to do things on your own, you are suffering and it will feel like in vain. Why? Because it won't work. But ultimately, do what we do, is it in vain? Ultimately, in the end, who wins? God, thank you, I answered for you. And do we get to be a part of that? Yes. So there is no vain. So what's his point? Stop acting like you can affect things and change things. Not your job. It's above your pay grade. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Is God bound by the law? Does God have to follow rules? (laughs) This, I'm sorry. We have to have a Father Berglund moment. My dad used to say, I hated this, by the way. Okay? Traumatic experiences for me as a kid. I know you're not really believing that because I say traumatic as I'm laughing and smiling, right? But conflict would arise in the Bergman household. And I would say, but dad, how come? Why do you get to... And he would say, because I'm the dad. Wait, what does that even mean? It's not fair. He said, oh, fair does not exist. And I make the rules. Now, I would like to thank my dad publicly for giving me one of my first lessons in theology, even though I was oblivious. This is how God works. God makes the rules, period. Can God change the rules? Yes, he does. Right? Rahab hid from the spies and the spy and the hid the spies from the bad guys and the bad guys came to the door and said hey Rahab are they here she said why no is that a lie (gasps) I thought you were not supposed to lie Exodus chapter 20 whoops now what does God get a change of rules folks I'm banking on it because the rules are set against me I don't get in with the current set of rules Neither do you. 
I need a God who makes the rules, changes the rules, bends the rules, and does it to his own favor. One, it means he's got ability. Two, he knows what favor is. And three, he might bend him in my benefit. Paul says, quit acting like you're him. Quit thinking that you need to change the system or that there's something wrong with what's going on. There's nothing wrong. And I will reiterate what we at Rock Bible Church are trying to learn. I myself as well, I am working on this. And we will continue to define it and discuss it. It will come up regularly. It's this big word. I know it's got a lot. It's E's and I's together with the G and it's silent. Sovereignty. What does that mean and how does it play out? We are going to work the rest of our lives trying to figure that out. And we may get close at times. But it will be when we stand before Almighty God through the pearly gates. Peter checks you off on the list and you walk in. I don't know if we get wings or not, and I don't care. That moment we're going to say, hey, uh, God, could you explain sovereignty for me? I'm still little, little confused. And he's going to say, well, da, 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 and you're going to go, oh, mind blown. Light bulb goes off. Now it makes sense. Between now and then, it is dangerous for us to question or reach for power, reach for control, try to manipulate. That's dangerous. It says, have faith in me rather than faith in yourself. You see, this discussion of works versus faith is really a discussion of God or you. Paul understood that, and I believe they understood what he meant, but we got to explain it in our current culture, right? Does he do this? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham, verse 6, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now then, know that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. <gasps> Congratulations! You just became Jewish. Not literally, not bloodline. But he says, who are the people of the promise? Abraham's people are not a bloodline. According to Paul now, it's those who believe in God, they're adopted, they're in. They are his offspring. That's amazing. And what kind of faith are they talking about? Because he referenced, hey, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did he believe? He believed, I will do whatever God says no matter what. No matter what it sounds like. No matter what culture says. No, no matter the loss I will take in following him. God told him, hey, we've been trying to get you a son and you've been doing it all the wrong ways. You've been doubting me. I want to see if you really believe me now. You know, you, gotta finally, you finally got a son. Who's more important, your son or me? Which really means who's more important, you or me? Take that kid up on the hill. We're going to end him today. What? Abraham started walking through like he was going to follow through on it. Got to the closest point to where it was almost no return. And God said, okay, that's enough. I believe you. God believe you? That's a rough question. How far will you go to pursue your faith in him? 
foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's us. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is interesting because now Paul is saying that the gospel started back in Genesis. Whoa. Shared the gospel, he says, beforehand to Abraham. Uh, had Jesus gone to the cross yet? Was Israel even established? Say no. Why? Because he hadn't been born yet. Jacob's name changes to Israel. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac was the one who was supposed to die on the mountain because Abraham believed in God. When does the gospel start? <laughs> At the very beginning. When God wants it to. I absolutely love the, the logic of that. And it means that we all have the opportunity at faith, doesn't it? Verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who, who does not abide by all things written in the book of life, and do them. Now it is, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by what? Faith. faith. That's great news. But the law is not of faith, rather... The one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I, I, I want to point out, we talk about this from time to time, what happened on the cross. And we talk about forgiveness of sin and his love for us and showed his power and all that. Kind of, I want you to know and understand that Paul introduces an idea here. Jesus was cursed on the cross. And knew full experience what that was like. And he says, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, why did Jesus do it? Because of the law? Because of the rules? Because this is what God said? No, he believed in his father. He believed it was the right thing to do. So he was obedient. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through, where's our word again? Faith. Verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, a man-made deal, a man-made transaction, promise, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. What is all that, Scott? I feel like we just walked into a law office we're in court now and the attorneys are using big words. Here's the short version. God made a promise from the beginning and fulfilled that promise to Abraham, to Jesus, through Jesus, and now offers it to you. Who's doing all the action? God is, not us. Where do you fall in that sentence, in that legal argument a recipient you're a direct object or an indirect object you're something that was done for or done to 
It's a great um, distinction. Mm-hmm. Verse uh, 18, I think. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Well, why then the law? Why do we have the law if God made all these promises? It was added because of transgressions. It was added, that means because we make mistakes. We doubt. We run off and do our own thing. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. God's our intermediary. He's the one that steps in for us. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. What can't come through the law? You can't have life. If you got law and rules and you just you become a robot, you're not living. You're just being obedient. But there's something about following someone, maybe in obedience or belief or faith, that gives you an experience of a relationship. Now you're living. Who you married? You did not marry them because they were perfect. And then you found out after you were married, they're not perfect. Now, does that just like throw it out? Oh, well, that's over. They, they misrepresented who they were. Is that, then is it over? No, that's when you put in the work, right? Roll up the sleeves. All right, let's solve this. Let's care about each other. Let's work on it, right? For those of you who haven't been married yet, pray for you good luck <laughs> but it's true living you got to get there if you're not married get there somehow if you used to be married get back there somehow why god designed for us to be in relationship with him and with and with others how did we get on to marriage let's move on uh Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Because it doesn't give life. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Your belief is in a promise, not in law. The the difference of defining faith is knowing, well, am am I following promise or am I following law? That's how you distinguish between the two. It's given to those who believe. Verse 23. Now, before faith came, we had held we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by and now that has come, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's a little weird distinction that just happened to you. I, I, I'm hoping that you're okay. I'm worried about you now. You just lost your protection. You don't have a guardian anymore. Wait, I thought Jesus was our guardian. 
Nope. He's not your guardian anymore. He's your promise. If you got a promise from God, why would you need to be guarded anymore? You'll be fine. You're just living in a promise. Let me ask you this. Do you, you view life, you view yourself, your relationships, the future of your kids or whatever? Do you view it as at risk, that it needs to be protected, guarded, that somehow it could go astray or awry? Or one of those other words that starts with A? Amoral? Do you live with A in front of your words? A means not. Amoral. Anul. Usually, entomology, when words are done that way, it means, hey, something's not going to happen. That means you're living in doubt, in fear, in works. Or the other side is, are you living in promise? Man, it looks bad right now. But I'm living in promise. It's going to be good. Oh, really? How's that? No idea. But it's going to be good. How do you know? Well, I have an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things yet to be seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction, I feel convicted of something that I have yet to see. I know it's going to happen. Ooh, that makes me want to go out and try stuff. I'm living in a promise. Last verse because we've been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. Verse 8, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Not law. Do you believe in the promise? Or do you believe in the rules? I believe it's cold, Scott. <laughs> Amen. What is faith? Why do we have faith? We have faith in this. Here's our fill-ins, right? Here we go. We're going to fly. Hold on tight. You can fall off this wagon. Faith in God, His Son, and His Spirit. That's faith. Wait, I, I want a faith that, that, uh, that, that I could get into that school, that I could get that job, that I can retire at a certain age. I want, I want faith in, I, I, got, I got this big old list of things that I want to believe and trust for. Well, that's backwards. Faith is in someone. Understand this. This is a relationship question. Faith is a relationship question. It's not ability. It's not logic. It's not any of those things. Here's the, here's the relationship. Faith in your relationship with him or it's faith in your relationship with yourself. See, law and ability and what you can accomplish is actually faith in yourself. Faith in my ability to get someone else to do what I can't do for myself would be misplaced faith. You know, if I just spend more time with Bryce, I'll be a better person. No, don't put that evil on him. That's not his responsibility. And you're putting now faith in a list of things you want, whether you get them for yourself or someone else gets them for you. You know, if the pastor would just, you know, as soon as my boss will, 
once my spouse begins. Those are lack of faith statements, folks. Because you're working on yourself and what you want, your own lists, your own preferences. Faith is in God himself and Jesus his son and that spirit. The rest of it can play out however it plays out. And by the way, it will. But if you think you're working on a list of things you want to see happen or accomplish or be or protect or influence or control or define or color or put a border around her, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. You're wasting time. That's not how faith was ever meant to work. If you're putting faith in anything else, it's backwards. You've taken a God-given gift, faith, and you've misused it. You ever seen a God-given gift misused? Every single day. Everywhere you look. Power. Gift from God? Misused and twisted. Every day. Look at politics anywhere, anytime, any place. <laughs> Sex. Gift from God? Oh, folks. <laughs> folks. No. No, we celebrate the gifts. Is sex a gift from God? Say yes. There should be some amens. Nobody jump to their feet. Why? Because we're scared to death of it. It makes us feel awkward. If I do a series on sex, half the people won't come. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't want to be uncomfortable. Why? Because too many times we've seen that gift taken and twisted or misused. Money. Gift from God? Can it be twisted? Sure. Body. Is it a gift from God? Well, geez, God, I don't know. I'm kind of looking. I need that one defined a little. Uh, can your body be misused? Substances. Trees. Are trees a gift from God? Can they be misused? Is technology a gift from God? Yeah, see how this goes? Right? We've got to stop putting faith in things, experiences, accomplishments. When you put faith in a person, it's either God or yourself. Amen to that. That's one. Faith in God, His Son, and His Spirit. There's a couple of verses you can look at in your own study later. Fill in number two. Faith banks on His promises. Faith banks on the proof of what He has done, but more importantly, that it proves that of what He will do what he has said i don't i don't know if um, you realize the magnitude of believing god's promise when he changed jacob's name that's just not a story about one of the three forefathers of our faith abraham isaac and jacob oh what great story do you believe the magnitude of the promise when he took Jacob, he had an experience with him, said, I will, from now on, I'm going to call you this. Your name is going to be this. I'm going to build a nation out of you. And by the way, he does not care 
where the stinking embassy is. It's his people, it's his nation. And what God says, it's all promise. We forget, we use fancy words like prophecy, rules, commandments, epistles. And in all these fancy words, we forget God has made some statements. When we question what God says, that's when we get in trouble. When you stop believing that he will fulfill his promises, you say, yeah, I know he said that, but uh, I don't know. Folks, know that that's how all this chaos started. Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent said to her, did God really say? Translate that into different words. Did God really promise? Man, Adam should have said, yes, he did. And Eve should have said, he's right, he did. And we'd be living, I don't know, in better way, we might be, we might not even be that cold if things had gone differently, right? Curse would be the earth, curse would be this, curse would be that. Why? Because when you stop banking on what God has said, you're like, hey, curse, come on in, curses. Let's party. We're going to have a great old time. It's delusional. Curse destroys you corrupts and takes you and throws you tosses you like the wind in the waves what does god promise you what has god said about you that you believe no matter what that's positive and good about your identity last week last chapter about your calling first week first chapter that cannot be shaken I love what Daniel says. You throw me in there. And my God can save me. But if he chooses not to, I'll trust him anyways. Ooh. Amazing. Faith banks on his promises. Verses 16, 18, 22. You can look at that in your own study time. Uh, number three, faith knows. Faith knows. That's a contradiction, by the way. Faith knows. If you knew, you wouldn't have to have faith. Why would you say faith knows? It's the conviction of things hoped for and the assurance of what's not seen. I don't have it. I hope for it. I haven't seen it yet, but I know it's going to happen. That goes against logic. It's where some of you with, with big brains need to like maybe bank on the heart, like move your trust down to your heart a little bit. I just feel like I can trust him. I know it's going to happen. Faith knows doing things by the book leaves things missing. If you did everything by the book, you had some bragging rights. There might be something missing. Kind of like building something or doing work 
like with one of your kids. You know, maybe you take your daughter to the hardware store, you got a little plan. You do everything by the book, but you miss out with the interaction with your daughter. You miss something. By the way, the trip to the hardware did not go by the book at all. <laughs> right, honey? It was horrid. And yet there was a weird part of it where we had a great time. Smashed my finger, threw out my back. You know, it just didn't go well. She missed out on the plans she was supposed to, and I was at fault because I messed it up. It took too long, blah, blah, blah. And yet hours later, it's like, oh, we had this little experience together. Doing things by the book is just one of the books. There's other books. There's other things going on. Read the room. Recognize what he's doing. And engage in it. Because part of what's hoped for and part of what's yet to be seen is what he's working on right now. And when you can see it, lean into it, help it, you may have no idea why. But the payoff later, amazing. Lastly, and by the way, the fill-ins are faith knows, and then the last one is missing. Faith knows doing things by the book leaves things missing. You can still miss out and that's what the uh, church of galatia was at risk at right not us we've got the book and we're going to learn right uh, lastly faith defines us i thought i thought i thought god defined us didn't you just say scott jesus defined it what he did on the cross defines us his creation of us defines us how could then faith define us what's well, all there it's already done but faith in it it's kind of like pulling back the curtain and then you get to see what already exists. It's this idea that your, your definition is being revealed. The mystery of who God is is being revealed from faith to faith. The more you trust Him, the more you walk with Him. Even when it makes very little sense, even when no one else is doing it, you, you stick to it and over time, God reveals, shows you things, and then you learn stuff about yourself you never knew. I mean, folks, <laughs> look who the lead pastor of your church is. This was not supposed to happen. How did I get here? How did you guys get here? Huh? One step at a time. God defining you. Why? Because you leaned into him. You asked him. You prayed to him. You showed up at stuff. Sometimes when it was cold. You read some things on your own. You listened to some stuff on your own. And you got around other people that do. Assembling with the church. It's not obedience, folks. It's faith. Stepping into relationship. It's not attendance. Do you know that over 10 years of our church, we've never took attendance? It's the weirdest thing. Well, 
you don't take it take attendance, Scott, but I know every week somebody counts how many people are there. Yes? Because we gotta have enough donuts. <laughs> but church isn't about attendance. It's about having God's definition of us revealed to us over time. How many, how many bricks do I want to build that house? How fast can I collect as many of those bricks as possible? Right? And then you don't have to carry lumber. That was yesterday. Uh, what do you believe in? What do you hope for? What has God promised you? What's your list? Of a really bad habit of making a list for my day or for an event. And I get into my list. And Julie and I uh, were looking at getting married. We met with a counselor too many times. <laughs> and he, he came up with this phrase for us, uh, list mode. It's like, well, Scott, you get into list mode. And then it's kind of like the list dictates everything and you're working down your list and julie's over here like hello hi no we got to do the list man that is your relationship with the lord you're working on your list or hello i'm over here i i i would be so embarrassed to, to let you know how many times she has finally got my attention and drugged me off my list. And this is Julie we're talking about right here. And said, um, I think what you're looking for is right over here. <laughs> what? I wanted to do it myself or whatever. If I just stop for a second. Like sometimes she just asks a question. Wait, didn't you leave that at the cabin? Oh, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't look over the church in every office in every room of our house and tear apart the garage and dig through every car because it's at the cabin. Said I'm going through my list. And she's over here going, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm relational. I help. I know some stuff. Abilities. God gave me a brain, two eyes, ears, and a nose. You should wash that stuff right uh god's a glorified version of my wife there you go i said it in public okay she's the closest thing i have to god in many ways I, it's a joking analogy not so much joking actually god is a relationship that you can bank on has made you promises you're going to work off your list or you're going to have faith in him What's he want you to stop working on? What does he want you to stop believing about yourself? What does he want you to start believing about yourself? <gasps> Scott, you just went positive. You started negative. You went positive. <gasps> That's how it's supposed to work. What freedom does God want to give you? What confirmation 
what forgiveness? What does he want to do with your list? Amen? This is where the sermon ends because I will never be able to answer those questions for you. Amen? And this is where we have faith that he can answer all of them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for what he wrote and how it makes sense. Uh, Lord, thanks for our ability to engage in it. But Lord, mostly thank you for bringing us to a place where we wrestle with you. What you want, who you are, what you've said about us. Lord, pray that we would be like Jacob. And take on that name. Take on the meaning of wrestling with you. Pray, Lord, for those at home, those here, those that are listening to this later. What do you want us to wrestle with? Help us to wrestle with you first and then where you direct us. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. We thank you for the offering we're about to receive. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to use what's given in faith. Amen? Amen. May you have faith in him. And then yourself. Amen? Go with him.